One of the buzzwords in the church across the last quite a few years has been discipling. Discipling, that's a word you'll hear quite a lot. We need to teach people how to be disciples, how to follow the Lord Jesus better. Discipling, that's a good word. It's a good focus and it's not new. It's not something new. The word may be used more. But down through church history, there's been discipling. How was it done? Well, one of the standard ways down through church history of discipling people was to teach them three things. There's an emphasis on teaching three things. One was the Apostles' Creed, so we know what we believe. Another was the Ten Commandments, so we know how we should live. And the third was the Lord's Prayer, so we know how to pray. And the Lord's Prayer doesn't just teach us how to pray, it teaches us what our priorities should be. Priorities for life. So we're going to spend the next few weeks, maybe a couple of months, I haven't worked out exactly how long, on Sunday mornings learning the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer Jesus taught his disciples, which was read to us from Matthew 6. So you may like to turn back to Matthew chapter 6, and it's in verse 9. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't really a prayer for Jesus to pray. It was a prayer he was teaching his disciples to pray. So it could be called the disciples' prayer. We're going to simply take one phrase per week, and this week we're on the phrase, Our Father in Heaven. Now, this gives us another reason for uh, going through the Lord's Prayer. Another reason is this. Churches tend to be like the society they are in. Look across the world and look across history. Churches tend to become like the society they are in. What is the biggest characteristic of our society? Well, I expect there's various answers we could argue about here. But a good answer would be this. Secularism. It's a secular society. What does that mean? It means, well, yes, you can believe in God, but he's not relevant to daily life. Keep him out of the workplace, out of the school, out of politics, out of the media. Because us humans are basically on our own, we're dependent on ourselves. That's secularism. And because it is the atmosphere we breathe, it's going to get into the church. It does get in. And it shapes us. So, for example, more importance is given to our plans and our schemes than praying to God to work. And the answer to that, well, there's probably many answers, but I think this is one of the best, is regained confidence in our Father in heaven. We don't need fancy techniques. We don't need to go on a retreat and learn from the great prayer warriors, although that could be a good thing, but we don't need to. We don't even need to understand the mystery of how does prayer work when God knows everything and has it planned already? That's beyond me. I think it's beyond everyone. We don't need to understand that all. We simply need confidence in our Father in heaven. So now I want to take that first phrase of this prayer and just go through it word by word. Let's just go through it word by word. First of all, the small word at the beginning, our Our. This word has a lot in it. Children, some of you go to Hollywell School. A few weeks ago, I was walking past Hollywell School as Class 2BD were on their way out to swimming lessons. And as I walked past that group of children, a little voice said, Hello, Leah's dad. And another one said, Hello, Leah's dad. Until a whole load of them were saying, Hello, Leah's dad. 
Well, they could say, hello, Leah's dad. But only one of them in class 2BD could say, hello, dad, or hello, my dad. Because that depends on a relationship. The rest could all say, hello, Leah's dad. But only one could say, hello, my dad. Because it depends on a relationship. This prayer is so familiar. And Christian teaching has thankfully so influenced our culture that we forget how bold and shocking is this claim, God is our Father. On the 6th of September 1997, thousands of people said this prayer. Do you know why? 6th of September 1997. It was the funeral of Princess Diana and millions watched it. And probably thousands joined in as this prayer was said. Thousands said to God, our Father. But how many truly could say, yes, God is my Father? Who can claim that? Who can claim that? Can you claim that? Well, let's find out. All humans are made by God. All humans are in his image. Wow, that's amazing. But that doesn't make them children of God and God his Father. Not in this sense, anyway. That doesn't come to us naturally. It only comes by adoption. Not naturally, but by adoption. This is taught across the Bible. Let's see one example. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 1. You could turn to it if you like. That might help you. Or you could just listen to verse 12 of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 12. Talking about Jesus. He came into this world. Most people wouldn't have him. But, verse 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What significant language. What amazing language. He gave the right to become children of God. When a couple adopt children, of course, they're not born into their family. But they're now legally their children. They're not just being looked after for a while. They've got all the rights of being children. And that couple now have the responsibility of being their parents. And John chapter 1 verse 12 tells us astonishingly, God does that for people. He gives them the right to be his children. And he says, I will take on the responsibility of being your father. Who does he do that for? Verse 12 tells us very clearly, talking about Jesus, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. To believe in his name is to believe in who he is. He's Jesus. That's the saviour. He's the son of God. He's the Lord. And that's put as the same as receiving him. See, the sort of belief that you need is a belief that receives Jesus. If you really believe he's saviour and Lord, you'll say, I want him as my saviour. And I'll obey him as my Lord. And notice verse 12, all who have that attitude are given the right, the legal never-to-be-taken-away right, to be God's children the king of the universe as their father. It's amazing news. Last Sunday, I heard about someone who particularly found this amazing. Uh, Someone someone here at Hollywell, actually, was telling me about this, that their father 
didn't know who his father was. Their father had been abandoned in hospital when a newborn baby. Imagine that. Mother just walked out and left him. And although he later discovered who his mother was, he has never since, and he's now an adult, known who his father is. But at 19, he heard about the Lord Jesus. And he put his trust in him. And what joy it was to find God is my father in heaven who cares for me. If you're an unbeliever, the Christian gospel really is good news. It doesn't say to you, if you've not been too bad, if you've patched up your life well, God might give you a bit of goodness. He might throw you a few good things from a distance. No, it says, whoever you are and however you've lived, if you believe Jesus as Saviour and Lord, and if you receive him as Saviour and Lord, God will be your Father and care for you. He'll give you the right to be his child. You can call him my father. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't start like that, does it? Yes, that, that does come from what we're hearing in the Lord's Prayer, but it doesn't quite start my father. Let's have a look again. It starts our father. You see, it's for Christians to pray together. It's a prayer for Christians to pray together. Now, we, we can and must pray on our own. If you are in Matthew 6 still, have a look back at verse 6. Verse 6 says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. We can and must pray on our own. What a sad thing. Imagine this, if, if a child never spoke one-to-one with her father. Around the meal table, yes, yeah, she joins in with the conversations then when the family's all together, but she never speaks one-to-one with her father. That would be a sad thing. What a sad thing. Someone claims to be a Christian never speaks one-to-one with your father in heaven. A couple of hundred years ago, there was a, a minister in Dundee on the east coast of Scotland who, who was an outstanding example of godliness. His name was Robert Murray McShane. And he said this, what someone is alone on their knees before God, that they are. And no more. That's the test of who you are. What are you like alone with God, praying to him? We can and must pray on our own, but but it's very significant that when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, pray our Father. He clearly expects us to pray together. And the first Christians got that message. Read the account of the first Christians in the first churches in the book of Acts and you keep finding them praying together. They got together to pray. Churches are not supposed to be buildings that you come to just to hear a talk. Churches are supposed to be families of God's people who love together to speak to their father. So, what are you doing this Thursday evening? It's a practical question. Now, I know some people are at work and some people are looking after children and some people find that just travelling after dark is uh, just not happening for them. But if you can, will you come here? Eight o'clock, by the way, I'm told I forgot to say it earlier. Eight o'clock to speak to our Father in heaven. We've only been on the first word so far, our. Let's move on to the second word. 
father. Second word, father. Let's have a think about this. Once, uh, when I was trying to tell the gospel to people, a Muslim got talking to me. And the Muslim said, your book, the Bible, that isn't a useful book. It doesn't even tell you how to pray. What sort of book is that? It doesn't even teach you how to pray. I thought, what are you talking about? I can't remember what I said to him, but I thought, what are you talking about? The Bible's got so much about praying, so much teaching about praying. But when I discovered a bit more about Islam, I started to understand what he meant. You see, the Bible doesn't teach how to pray in the way that a Muslim expects. Because Muslims are told exactly what words to use in what situations. They even have, here's the prayer to pray when you go to the toilet. They have the words to use in exact situations. So I started to understand why he thought the Bible doesn't teach how to pray. You see, his approach to prayer, these are words I must use in this situation, are like putting money into a vending machine. If you think about it, it's just like putting money into a vending machine. You want a Mars bar? You put the money in, and out it comes. You've not got the money? Well, it's no good talking nicely to the vending machine. It's no good saying, I'll come back in half an hour and pay you. You've got to put the right money in to get the right thing out. And so much religion treats God as a vending machine. And the prayers are trying to find the right words to get out of him what we want. Jesus says, here's the most important thing to know about prayer. It's speaking to a person. It's a personal interaction. It's not just putting money into a machine and hoping you get the right thing out. It's, it's a personal interaction. Do you pray with awareness you're speaking to a person? Sometimes people pray this. Father in heaven, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Now, what do you think of that? Father in heaven, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Well, if you switched on, you might know that's not right. The father didn't die on the cross. It's Jesus who died on the cross. But the thing that bothers me isn't so much that it's incorrect. We don't have to get everything correct in prayer. God isn't there testing out our correctness. The thing that bothers me is, are they aware who they're speaking to? Are they thinking about the person that they're speaking to? That's the thing that concerns me more. Are we aware of the person we're speaking to? But Jesus doesn't just say you're speaking to a person. He says you're speaking to your father, our father. What does that mean? Now, this is a subject for several weeks, but I'm I'm determined we're only going to spend one week on each phrase. So I'm going to only tell you a little. What does it mean he's your father? It means he loves you. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, if sadly you didn't have a loving father, and I expect there will be people here who didn't have a loving father, I'm sorry to hear that, but I expect you still know that a father should be loving, and God certainly is. What does it mean he's your father? It means he provides for you. If you're in Matthew 6, just look forward to chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. 
Chapter 7, verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, you see Jesus recognises not all fathers are good, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, remember, he provides as a father. As a father. If you put the right money into a vending machine, it will give you a Mars bar and a Boost bar and a Twirl and three cans of Coke and two packets of knickknacks, even if you're an overweight diabetic who's just eaten dinner. If you put the right money in, it will do it. It doesn't look first and see, is this good for you? But a good father won't. Now, a good father won't give you all those things after you've just eaten dinner when you're an overweight diabetic. No. He'll listen to you and he'll enjoy giving you what you ask if it's good for you. God is a father also means this, he knows best. I know I've just said this, but there's another side to this. He knows best. Hebrews 12 verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Because what son is not disciplined by a father? God disciplines us. A father doesn't always just do the nice, easy things. Children, have you heard of John Newton? I expect you've at some point sung the hymn Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote it. He was famous for being a slave ship captain who was then converted. And he also wrote a hymn that goes like this. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. And on it goes about what he prayed for. And then it, on, it, on it goes about the difficulties he experienced. How It describes how God answered that prayer by giving John Newton a load of troubles. Not because like a vending machine, he just automatically gives whatever you ask for, even if it's bad. No, but because he's a father who knows what's best for us. Even if the best involves difficulties in getting it. These two words, we've only had two words so far, our Father, they are the biggest incentive to pray. Christian brothers and sisters, God knows you and he loves you and he is committed to you and he enjoys giving you what's best and he loves to hear from you. But there's more. There's more. Third thing. Two words this time. They've got to go together. In heaven. In heaven. What does it mean when it says in heaven? It's not meaning he's far away. Acts 17 says he's near to us all. It's not meaning he's restricted to one place. There he is in heaven, almost like under house arrest. Psalm 139 says he's everywhere. It's, when it says in heaven, it's meaning he is high above us. It's a statement about his greatness. Psalm 115 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. It means he's all seeing. Psalm 33 says, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Now, how should that make you feel as you pray? A bit trembly? A right sort of nervousness? Certainly a deep respect that the Bible calls reverence and even calls fear, fear, 
all casualness and carelessness banished, surely. It's not we have to put on a special voice and have extra special formal words as we pray. But surely we can't be casual and laid back. No. And in heaven should also mean we've got confidence as we pray. There's nothing we can talk to him about that is beyond his power or that he hasn't noticed. So we can pray with such freedom. Fellow Christians, you have freedom to bring to God anything that concerns you. Such freedom. Because he's your father, there's nothing that concerns you that he's uninterested in. Because he's not a vending machine, there's no danger you'll ask for the wrong thing and it will backfire on you. Because he's a father who, who doesn't just automatically respond. And because he's in heaven, there's no way you'll ask for something that's just too big or too difficult. So how do you treat God when you pray? Remembering this in heaven, how do you treat God when you pray? Here's a little test. It's a very little test, but I think it shows something up. What do you do when you're praying and the phone goes? That's a little test for you. What do you do when you're praying and the phone goes? Stop the prayer cut off in midair as if you weren't even talking to someone, as if you were just talking to yourself. I've done that many times. And it's shown up. I had no awareness I was speaking to the one in heaven. I was just acting as if I was talking to myself. Because I just cut off in midair, answered the phone. Or answer the phone because it could be someone and something important. Will it be someone any more important than the person you were just talking to in heaven? Now, God is a kind father. I'm not saying it is a sin to answer the phone. God is understanding. But I think it's quite a good test. What happens when you're praying and the phone goes? Could be a test of your awareness. You're speaking to the one in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Put it all together and it means we should have this attitude. Psalm 2 puts it this way. Rejoice with trembling. That's what it means. He's our Father and he's in heaven. So rejoice with trembling. One of of the places I've best got an idea of what it is to rejoice with trembling from is the Narnia stories. Children, do you know the Narnia stories? Great stories. C.S. Lewis wrote these stories. And in them, there is this king called Aslan. But he's a lion. And the children in the story, they're always pleased to see Aslan. And he lets them be familiar with him. And they enjoy being with him. And with him, they're never afraid he's going to be unkind or going to let them down. No way. But they do have a sort of fear with him because they are aware he's not a tame lion. He is not on their level. He rules. They don't mess about with him. Everything about him draws out their deepest respect. Now, I can't put it as well as C.S. Lewis. Read his books and I think you'll have a great picture of rejoice with trembling. Jesus is giving us reason to rejoice with trembling because God is our Father and he's the one on the throne of heaven. To pray rightly, you don't need anything complicated. Prayer isn't complicated. You don't need to read thick books. They might do you good, 
But you need to be trusting Jesus. And then God is your father. And you need to keep aware of this. You are speaking to your father in heaven. There could be no greater incentive to pray.